heard how your voice changed when the camera came between us. My voice changed because I felt sick, because you drugged me. Yeah, you were drugged, all right. And the drug was sweet, little 14-year-old flesh. Look, I'm a decent guy. Ask anyone. Go ahead. Yeah, call these models. They'll tell you. Of course they will. You're not an idiot, Jeff. You don't piss where you live. Those girls were your work, and I, on the other hand, was... your play. You were coming on to me. Oh, come on. That's what they always say, Jeff. Who? Who? The pedophiles! She was so sexy, she was asking for it. Oh, she was only technically a girl. She acted like a woman. It's just so easy to blame a kid, isn't it? The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear except God. Whatever that means to you. Listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello, and welcome to the fear of God. We are so glad you're here for this episode and for this installment of our Umbrella series for the year, that of 2020-2020. I feel like Barbara Walters right now. To know exactly what this series is all about, go back and listen to our precap episode from January, which feels like a year ago in itself. But basically, you all are voting on your favorite horror films from the last 20 years, and we are covering one from each year. We began with Shadow of the Vampire and then trekked to the 80s with Donnie Darko and then to an abandoned uh, Britain with 28 Days Later, followed by new Fear of God favorite, House of a Thousand Corpses. Last week, we featured our friend Blake Collier in a little fun conversation about 2004's Saw. And today, finds us sinking our teeth into a film. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Who am I? Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host, Reed Lackey. And, you know, I got to be honest, everybody, I'm a little nervous because Reed was here a second ago and he had a, a big bag of ice in his hands and a VHS tape. I didn't even know you could still get VHS tapes, but he had those things and just this weird look on his face and then he went away. He'll, he'll be back. I would say I hope, but I'm not totally sure that I do hope. In the meantime, it has been a year of guests so far, and we have got another one for you today. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. You know her as our foreign correspondent, but we know her in our current Fear of God cabinet as the first Canadian Secretary of State for the United States, Vera Gowdy. Welcome, Vera. Welcome back to the show. Hello. (laughs) Thanks for having me. You Thank you for being here. I am glad you're you sound well. Are you well? Uh as far as I know. <laughs> good, good, good. Because 
There's a lot of unwell going around in yeah, the medical and the mental variety. Um, thawing up here. Not yeah. Not that we can go outside to enjoy it. But you yes, know, all the snow's gone. I don't even know if we had a winter. <laughs> just just kind of a day or two of cold and we're back at it. Um, Vera, I know you know this, but we want listeners, especially new listeners, uh, to know that at the fear of God, we explore the holy and the horrific at the intersection of faith and fear, dissecting what scares us in order to find what saves us. If that sounds like something you would enjoy, listener, come find us on Twitter, on Instagram, or join us in the Facebook group for lively discussions around horror and genre-themed media, books, and film, because here at the fear of God, we explore. We don't explain, except for right now. When Vera is going to explain, just kidding, I'm not going to put you on the spot like that. <laughs> when I am going to explain that you can listen to the Fear of God podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, anywhere else podcasts are found. While you're at it, thoroughly wash your hands, singing the birthday song twice, and then go and subscribe to us on your favorite platform and also and especially on iTunes, where you also might be so kind as to leave us a five-star rating and or glowing review to find us on the web visit the fear of god podcast.com there you will find a blog and an episode archive and you'll be able to purchase merchandise from the show see fellow foggers just like vera in their fear of god merchandise like currently drinking from my mug there you go drinking from that mug girl cell phone cases pillows read you're you're back you you, you kind of you got me a little worried, buddy. You doing all right? You know, it's best not to discuss some things. So we're going to move okay. on. Yeah. Some, all right. Some well, things just, it's best, some things are just best left unsaid. So, okay. Uh, we'll so, uh, we'll gonna, do that. Yeah. But so, yeah. speaking of things that shouldn't go unsaid, Reed, you're my running mate this year, buddy. Yeah, it's this true. Is gonna, here in America, we are having an election year, hopefully. <laughs> Okay. Uh, TBD. <laughs> yes, it's, there's a lot of TBD right now. But, Reed, I don't know if you heard, in the real world, acceptance for mail-in ballots for Wyoming were pushed from oh. March 20th oh. to April 17th. And in-person voting was completely canceled altogether Good due Lord. to the coronavirus, which we take very seriously. However, in the fear of God world, it didn't get pushed back at all. And, Reed, we won that one, too. <laughs> just sort of we winning won. All, we win all the things. We do. Steamrolling everyone. We are. Yes, we are. I tell you, our are. competition bowed out months ago. Months yeah. ago. Which means we're bound to lose. <laughs> <laughs> this, in this upside down crazy world. <laughs> yes. In oh, this oh, crazy man. world like this is. Love has ended before it's begun. <laughs> oh, Sorry. Wow. Call back to last week and all the songs we did. So, Reed, you know, um, Vera doubles as a, not just our foreign correspondent, but also our Secretary of State. And you are, yes, yes, co-host and running mate. But, and Vera, I don't know if you know this, but, Reed, you are also. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you are also. <laughs> Lackey the listicle, my occasionally list, list, list making lackey. Hi, everybody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. I'm really um, happy Reed. to be here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I don't, you've got a little country twang there. I don't know if someone named Lackey the listicle would have that twang, but, you know, you can, but, we can keep working on it. We'll, it's a little racist, but just move on. 
Is it? <laughs> I don't know about that. We're going to leave that one. I don't. Speaking of, I don't know. Speaking of things you said that like should... a Canadian from South Park. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Reed, uh, in the interest of not stepping in too many bear traps here, would you enumerate (laughs) or list out or, you know, just tell listeners about what 2020, 2020 is and how they can help us out? I would be delighted to do that. So, um, (laughs) listeners, we have been counting down for the last several episodes. We have been counting down your top 10 favorite horror films from each year starting in 2000. We are continuing that trek, and we need your participation. So, go to thefearofgodpodcast.com, click on the little banner at the top that will take you to the surveys where you can then vote on your favorite horror films from each year. The surveys, as of this release, the only survey that is left, and boy, do we need your help, is... 2007 and 2008. Those are the only two surveys that are left. I think I said survey before, but there's two left right now. 2007 and 2008. Go cast your vote for those films. That will conclude phase one of this little journey. Uh, We'll be doing some different things, and then we'll be coming back to it later in the year. But go to fearofgodpodcast.com. Cast your vote for your favorite horror films of 2007 and 2008, and we will be counting down your favorites right here every single week. So this week, we are diving into 2005. Vera, I don't think I properly said hello to you. Hello, Vera. Welcome back hey, to the show. Hey, Reed. It's, it's <laughs> good to have you um, and that wonderful mug. Um, so we are going to be starting the countdown right now for the favorite horror films, listener-voted favorite horror films of 2005. Would you do us the honors of uh, inaugurating this list and going ahead and, and giving us number 10 in the list, if you would be so kind? I would love to. So number 10 from the, which year? 2005? Yes. 2005, yes. 2005, number 10 is The Devil's Reject. Let's try that again. (laughs) We're keeping it. Nope. (laughs) That's Oh, Okay, now that I've cleaned the word vomit off of myself. (laughs) Number 10 on the best horror of 2005 is The Devil's Rejects. Directed by Rob Zombie. Indeed, we di- we discussed this in brief during our House of a Thousand Corpses conversation. Uh, I've seen it. Nathan, I know, has not. Vera, have you ever seen this one? I have. I don't remember anything about it except the box cover of the DVD. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just remember it remarkably being different in tone from. House of a Thousand Corpses, that it's uh, it, it just has a completely different style and tone. Um, and I remember how fascinated I was that um, it, to a, a large degree in a rather extended sequence, uh, puts the villains from House of a Thousand Corpses into a similar sort of uh, victimed situation where they are being tortured and tormented by somebody else, which I found really interesting. Um, but uh, But it is a film that I do not necessarily recommend to people because it is not at all for the faint of heart it is uh, quite quite extreme um nathan would you do us the honors of number nine i would because i have seen number nine uh number nine on this list directed by steven spielberg starring tom cruise it is Mm -hmm. the war of the worlds 
indeed. Have we all seen this? This is a pretty popular yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this is. Uh, it, it, I feel like this is one where it's like it is technically horror, which is why it winds up on the list. Um, but definitely directed by Steven Spielberg, being uh, you know much more accessible than say your common uh, horror film. I'll chime in with uh, number eight here, uh, directed by John Maybury. This is starring Adrian Brody and Kira Knightley. It is The Jacket. I did see this film. I do not remember liking it very much, and I do not remember very much about it. Have either of you seen it? No, I haven't seen it. Nope. I I feel remiss that we're not going to have much to say about it, but I honestly do not remember (laughs) much. I do like a good jacket, though. So I don't know if this qualifies, but... No, no. This this I think would probably be somewhat uncomfortable. Um, yeah. So warm and cozy outer, stylish and cozy ah, outerwear, yes. right? Okay, yes, yeah, yeah something like that. Um, so yeah, with apologies <laughs> to fans of this film, we don't have much to say about it. But uh, Vera, would you take us into number seven? Number seven, starring internet darling Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. Is that him? No. Yeah. yeah. Nope. That yeah. is. Oh yeah. yeah. Constantine, directed by Francis Lawrence. Nathan, yes, you... I Canada. Hmm? <laughs> um, Nathan, you, have you seen have you seen this one? Uh, no, I have not. S- so I just it? am trying to withhold all the Duke Kaboom references. <laughs> <laughs> um, Vera, how about you? Have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen it. It's what's interesting to me about this one is I feel like at the time it came out, it was it was something of a of a disappointment. I think in both uh, financials and critical reception, but it has seen. Perhaps uh, primarily due to the exploding affection for Keanu Reeves, which he seems to be just like so many people's favorite action stars right now. Um, And Constantine has seen a resurgence. I'm seeing recently, like in the past year or two, uh, it crop up on more and more sort of underrated lists and um, a lot of people giving it more attention than I ever remember it getting before. Um, and uh, listeners, you voted it in at uh, number seven. It's a film I, I, I enjoy. I, I, I liked it. made it into a TV show, too, which might account for some of the research. That's right. Popularity of the movie. That's exactly right. Remarkably now, different iteration, though, right? I mean, they're pretty divergent. Yes. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, I had forgotten completely about the TV show. I've never, I've never seen that. Have you seen that TV show at all? Mm, episodes here and there, but I haven't watched it consistently. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, that's interesting. I might have to. I'm well, have to and look part of a little bit. Reed, you reference the. I don't know that you use this word, so I am, but the kind of lukewarm response initially. I think a lot of that also just had to do with how divergent it is from the source material. I mean, it's oh, a, gotcha. You know, yeah. comic book comic book film yeah hellblazer is the name of the comic right am i saying that right yeah 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 yeah. yeah. originally Um, yeah john constantine yeah um but uh yeah so listeners that was your number seven uh nathan why don't you lay number six on us uh number six also a film i have not seen and don't have a ton of plan to uh that directed by eli roth it is hostile yeah um i would affirm your reluctance to see have you seen it film I have, I have. Um, Vera, have you seen it? Yeah, I have. I would not revisit it. I did not like it at no, all. I actively disliked it. I think it's and and what's interesting to me about Hostel, the the I have yet to hear a compelling case from its fans to revisit it. It is undeniable 
that the film Hostel, again, our, our last week's episode was an extended conversation about Saw, and it is undeniable that Hostel and Saw kind of in combination uh, produced a new subgenre in the horror community, so their influence has to be credited, um, just in all fairness. But honest to goodness, I did not like the movie. <laughs> I did not like the characters. I did not like the script. I did not like the premise. It is a, a an unenjoyable experience for me. No, it's straight uh, up torture porn. It is. I mean, that's all it is. That's the concept of the film. That's literally the concept of the film, is that there's these people who pay to torture their victims. Like, they pay wow. for hapless tourists to come and become their their victims of all of their sadomasochistic uh, desires, and it is uh, it's gruesome and it's 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 uncomfortable and it's unpleasant. and And I have said before on the on the show that uh, Eli Roth clearly has his fans. I just do not happen to be one of them. There are a multitude of people who uh, like his work, and 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 so I don't want to be dismissive uh, to people who like him for any variety of reasons. There's just not a lot of what he brings to the table that I respond to very positively. Um, and so uh, Hostel being, it, it wasn't his first film, but it was unquestionably like it made a huge name for him. Um, and its influence on the genre, at least temporarily, was is undeniable. So, um, but yeah, I, I don't recommend Hostel at all. I actively encourage people to avoid it. <laughs> but that's Fun just That's fact. just me. I used to wear glasses. I don't. I've since had laser eye surgery, but ah. Hostel is the reason I was never able to wear contact lenses. <laughs> oh, really? What? <laughs> yeah, there is one specific scene in the movie that involves an eyeball. Oh, and my just, gosh, I can't, that's right. I can't, I since could not touch my eyes after that. It's disgusting. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> I had forgotten all about that. They made a sequel to it, too, which Ugh. I which I Bye. did not see. Um, and I just like, uh, yeah, no, uh, it just, yeah, nah, nah, but, uh, and I feel, <laughs> I feel a little bad because it's your sixth favorite horror film of 2005. But, um, moving on from, from that one, uh, to number five is a film I have seen. And it's interesting because its placement in this list is encouraging me to revisit it because I remember liking it, but don't remember that much about it. It's a film called Cry Wolf directed by Jeff Wadlow. It is a, um, I think it takes place, if I'm remembering it correctly, takes place on a university campus um, where there is a killer, and it is uh, kind of, again, if my memory serves, kind of a classically styled whodunit where our protagonists are trying to figure out who among them is the killer. Um, I, it's not one of those super exceptional films that does different, unique things with the genre, but I, I remember it being very competent, very suspenseful, and uh, overall uh, pretty enjoyable. Have either of you seen Cry Wolf? No. no. I only know about it um, tangentially because Jared Padalecki is in it, and I watched Oh, that's right. Yes, 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 that's right. Um, uh, but yeah, I, the, its placement on this list is encouraging me to uh, to maybe want to revisit that. So maybe I'll maybe I'll break that out sometime soon. Uh, that was number five. Vera, you want to give us number four? Number four, directed by Wes Craven and starring uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, yes, twenty eight days yeah. later, is Killian Murphy is Red Eye. That's right. Um, is this? Rachel McAdams too. Yes, I was just yes. going to say. I, like, I did not know Wes Craven directed that, or if I did, I definitely forgot. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny because there's a couple of oddities in Wes Craven's catalog. This isn't an oddity. It's not a a straightforward horror film, an undeniable like uh, 
thriller and and incredibly suspenseful based on its premise alone. Um, I really enjoy Red Eye. I like Red Eye so, so much. Have we all three seen it? Yeah, yes. he plays creepy so well. Does an exceptional job. Yes, he's he's great in this. And Rachel McAdams, of course, endearing just by nature and uh, and a really uh, exceptional actor as well. Uh, so yeah, Red, Red Eye is a really good film. Another thing that I love about it, it's silly to commend it for this, uh, but it's brief too. I think it's like 75 or 80 minutes long. So it's super brief, uh, easily digestible, and very rewarding as a suspense nugget. So uh, so yeah, I just I, I adore Red Eye. I think Red Eye is a really great film. And in keeping uh, with our constant desire to make Batman references, uh, Vera, you said Killian plays menacing well. Last week on our best of list was The Machinist, uh, which stars Christian Bale, who would shortly after The Machinist go on to star in Batman Begins alongside a menacing Killian Murphy. That's exactly right. one Jonathan Crane, a.k.a. The Scarecrow. Scarecrow, yeah. So nice. So nice. Oh, all the Batman. Um, Nathan, how about you hit us with number three? Number three lives in fog infamy. <laughs> it does. Uh, coming in episode. on episode 52 in fog canon it is directed by neil marshall of hellboy and some other movie that we just recently discussed last week what did we discuss last week Reed? or two weeks ago uh, you, you, neil marshall has come up recently right uh yeah because he directed dog soldiers yeah. dog soldiers that was the other one that i forgot because <laughs> i barely saw it uh this let's, is let's calm down. the descent i love how reed i really wasn't trying to set you up there but i love how you were like oh my god he's gonna make me reference <laughs> dog soldiers again <laughs> listen y'all listen uh, the descent at number three uh depending on which version maybe it's 3a or 3b i don't know you, you know what i was just i was just gonna say okay so which version of the descent made number three i'm like oh i'm making a little joke and then nathan chimed in and beat me to it so there's that there's that i'll um, live for that <laughs> um i so uh, listeners you can go back and hear all of our thoughts on the descent um i did rec- i should mention that since the time we spoke about dog soldiers um and since now i have now seen hellboy i have now seen neil marshall's hellboy and i must confess that while it has an abysmal script the script is truly gloriously terrible um, I did not find yeah, it as unwatchable. Uh, it, what was that? I said, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. Did you see Hellboy as well, Vera? Yeah, yeah. I did not find it as unwatchable as so many other people did. The script is terrible. Like The script will make your eyes roll every other line. The script is really awful and consistently awful. But there were some sequences in there. I was like, this is, this is fun. Like, I, a, I like this. A lot of the people in the movie have some pretty good acting chops. And yes. so you can kind of excuse the poor dialogue. Exactly. I think exactly. Ian Go McShane ahead, is in it, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Ian McShane plays his father. Uh, Mila Jovovich, who is more of a, sort of an action star, but uh, seasoned uh, enough comedy now to... star Zoolander. <laughs> There's that too. <laughs> there is that too. Um, but no, I I was actually pretty impressed with some of the performances, and I was pretty impressed with some of the general sequence. There's just there's some kind of cool sequences in there. I loved when he's fighting the giants. Um, the Baba Yaga creature design was was really strong. Baba Yaga, Baba Yaga freaked me out. <laughs> yeah, <was> good. <laughs> she's really creepy. So it's like I think that was the thing is. I think the uh, the venom that was hurled at it was largely due to its script, which I tell you, like from line one, I was like, "Oh my god, really? Is this the is this what we're in for?" Because it's just is that like my voice. Because <laughs> it's just 
it's so juvenile and uh where it isn't juvenile and trying to be more clever than it is it's uh it's just mechanical and bland um but uh if you're fond of the character it is not as unwatchable as uh the consensus would make you believe um okay so, so that was number three read your number two yep so number three was the descent number two it's the film that we will be talking about eminently. It is uh, this uh, this week's focal film. It is directed by David Slade, a film called Hard Candy. I'll get into it more when we get into the episode. I am stunned that this is number two. I am so shocked that this is number two. Not because I don't like the film. I respect the film tremendously, and we'll get into more of that later. But uh, I was really surprised that this wound up at number two. But listeners, you voted this number two uh, of your favorite horror films of 2005. Uh, Vera, why don't you bring us home with number one? Number one, directed by Scott Derrickson, is The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Indeed. This Ball Cannon, episode 14. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> um, this didn't surprise me at all. Like I, like, I knew, even in making the nominees list, that there was a strong shot this was going to be the number one film. Um Reed and I saw this together. We did. We did. He was so yeah. freaked out. Mm. It was so great. Was yeah, so that like jumped in his lap. <laughs> it was so, which which was painful. <laughs> but it was like, yes. Um, Vera, you've seen Exorcism of Emily Rose? Yeah. I think Rob yeah. and I saw it in theaters. Oh, it's it it, it honestly like did Rob jump in your lap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really heavy, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that was his proposal, as a matter That's of fact. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, no, it, it, listeners, you can go back and check out all of our thoughts uh, on that from back in the early days of uh, the fear of God when episodes were about half. As I mean, long that as was are these days. Yeah, that was like two weeks into our three years. It's true. It's true. Um, so, listeners, that was your top ten favorite horror of two thousand five. In a few moments, we're going to be diving more deeply into the film that made number two on your list, Hard Candy. But before we do that, uh, Nathan, will you be so kind as to pull up the global box office for 2005? Um, while you're doing that, uh, let's take a look at this list and see what kind of uh, crops up. Again, like last week, we have a bit of a mixed bag. There is... Uh, uh, th there's not it's not easy to discern a distinct pattern although i will say uh quite a few of these on the lower part of the list when i say quite a few i'm thinking of specifically constantine and war of the worlds they're uh uh grander in scale they're well red eye would classify as this they're they're trying to be sort of more popularly accessible and uh, it's interesting because to see that juxtaposed with more extreme entries like Hostel and The Devil's Rejects, um, The Descent, while uh, much more accessible than those other two films, uh, is still you know pretty intense, particularly in its creature design. Um, but I think this is another mixed bag. Vera, do you see any similarities uh, among the films that you've seen in this top ten list? Um, I'm seeing... So a couple of them are like the either mental or physical torture, mm, mm, um, yeah. some demonic possession. Yeah, yeah, that's mm -hmm. true. I th yeah, but it's, yeah, it's pretty mixed bag. There's some there's some traps in here, too, that I'm seeing. So Hard Candy has a trap uh, in it. Red Eye, uh, by nature of its plot, is a trap. Um, Hostel. Hostel has traps uh, in it. Uh, Devil's Rejects uh, has a pretty significant, like, ploy of... 
uh, setting bait and trapping uh, people in it. So uh, yeah, that's that that is interesting. And then there is also the torturous element that uh, that you mentioned, which I do find pretty fascinating. Um, Nathan, what you what you got for us on the global box office? Uh, well, Reed, in the global <laughs> box office of 2005, thanks <laughs> to Box Office Mojo, um, interestingly, a couple of little notes outside the top five is that number 16 on this list is Constantine. Oh, interesting. Um, and then at number 10, worldwide box office, uh, it came up last week, it just came up five minutes ago. Is Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins? Ah, it that was yeah. very, ten. <laughs> yeah, with only three hundred and seventy-one million, which is wild when you consider a where that film goes. And so I'll be really interested to see where the other subsequent entries show up. Right, but also compared to modern MCU style box offices, three hundred seventy million is not much. No, no, exactly. Wow, that's that. I did not realize that Batman Begins, successful as it was had only made that. That's really, really interesting. That really makes me want to see that now. <laughs> um, number five on the list of 2005 Worldwide Box Office is King Kong. Uh, I presume that's the Peter Jackson. The, I would the have to Jack be. Jack Black. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And Naomi Watts. Yeah. Yeah. Jack Black um, and Naomi Watts starring. <clears throat> wow. Interesting. That one had 562 million. And for our box office, you know, kind of aficionados at home, number five on this list had 562 million while number one on this list had 895 million. So oh, interesting. Three and a half million dollar spread there. Uh, number four, also showing up on our best of 2005 horror list is War of the Worlds. Oh, yeah. War of the Unsurprising. Worlds. Wow. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You got Tom Cruise, you got Spielberg. Those are some heavy hitting box office draws. Um, or at least used to be. Yeah. Number three is uh, the first entry in what would become a pretty fizzled out franchise, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Ah, oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. We all lament. <laughs> lament a little bit. $745 million, though. Um, wow, yeah. Good job, Christians at the box office. Um, <laughs> number two on this list, finishing out the mid-trilogy of George Lucas's grand space opera um is star wars episode three revenge of the sith even that still million wow that still just made number two that's interesting well you can sort Ugh. of see a, you can sort of see a i don't know exactly what that one was for here no but, but it's true because uh, i hate sand it's so coarse and it gets in everything <laughs> <laughs> Is that Perfect. Sith or is that clones? Um, oh, I'm pretty perfect. sure that's the second one. That's okay, well, this is, yeah, okay, so this, yes, yes. <laughs> perfect. What's hilarious about that? My nephew, who's in his mid 20s, who I referenced on Ready or Not, uh, was just up the other day, and I come home from an outing, and of all the things in the world, he turns on while I'm gone. He turned on Attack of the Clones, and I was oh, like, "Wow, really? That's the one you pick?" Um, but anyway. Yeah. Moving right so, no, I have a so a, a placement student who's not currently on placement with me because everyone is in quarantine. But mm, um, mm. before that happened, we were chatting and um, Star Wars came up because it does in my daily conversation pretty much. Sure. And she told me that she has only seen episodes two and three. Like somebody recommended her to only watch episodes two and three, and those are the only Star Wars movies what? she has ever seen. And I was like, you are flunking placement class. Oh this my. is terrible. <laughs> How old is this person? She's 
like early 20s but apparently the person who recommended it was like loves a romance story and loved the story between Anakin and Padme and I was like you need to excise this person from your life immediately (laughs) (laughs) no kidding oh my gosh looking at the great love stories in cinema history like oh Anakin and Padme oh my gosh that just no no the, the idea that that could really just like really inspire people it just it baffles me that uh yeah never mind number one on the <laughs> list uh, <laughs> the less said about bad star wars the better um number one on this list uh jumping 30 million from number two is harry potter and the goblet of fire Ta-da. very good film no oh, that's a wonderful film and i, I had mentioned harry potter Oh, absolutely. And I had mentioned, so so Chronicles of Narnia was on uh, in, in this top five. I had mentioned last week that I had read in an article, and I agree with it, that the contribution to the Harry Potter franchise that Alfonso Cuaron had brought by just diversifying the visual style, by really cleverly adapting Prisoner of Azkaban, that if not for his skill set as a director and his creative approach to the story, we might not have had the rest of the Harry Potter franchise. And the Chronicles of Narnia is a great sort of testament to that possibility because we only got the first three installments and then just people stopped really caring anymore about those, um, at least about the, the film adaptations of them. And uh, and so, yeah, Harry Potter uh, now finally back atop the box office list that uh, does not surprise me at all. I do. I am very fond of Goblet of Fire. I think Goblet of Fire, pound for pound, might bite, might be my favorite of the books. I think it is. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very very pleased with that. Um, all right, so that puts uh, another installment of uh, 2020, 2020, uh, specifically your top ten favorite horror of 2005 in the books. It is now time for us to move into your number two installment in, uh, or your number two placement uh, on that list, and that is David Slade's film, Hard Candy. Um, so I mentioned, I, I'll, I'll kind of kick this off a little bit here. I had mentioned earlier that I was quite surprised to see this reach the heights that it did, and I mentioned just in passing that that's not because I don't enjoy, like, that I don't like the film or that I don't respect the film. But, um, A, it's not a traditional horror film. I definitely think it qualifies. <laughs> I think that's pretty undeniable. But it's not a traditional horror film. Also, its subject matter is pretty challenging uh, and is pretty difficult to the degree that uh, that I'm kind of surprised. Like, when when House of a Thousand Corpses topped the list... I at least could understand, and Nathan and I kind of briefly brushed past this, that even though we weren't very fond of that film, um, it is certainly, like, at the time, made an impact, um, particularly as a, as a cult film, um, and is so different in its presentation and its, its just gonzo filmmaking style. Um, but something like Hard Candy would make me wonder why it would why people would respond so positively to it um, to give it so many votes in this list. And uh, for those who have not seen it or possibly not even heard about it, I'm going to briefly summarize the premise of it. Um, It opens very uncomfortably with um, uh, some people chatting over the Internet 
and you later discover that the people are chatting. Uh, there is a 32-year-old uh, male uh, photographer named Jeff, um, and then there is a 14-year-old girl named Haley. And the language of the internet chat is very uh, flirtatious, and they agree to meet, um, which they do meet, and without spoiling too many particulars at this moment, uh, though we will spoil probably everything as we get into it, they meet at a coffee shop. One thing leads to another. They wind up going back to Jeff's home, uh, where before long it becomes clear that Haley, the 14-year-old, has lured him into a really, really brutal trap where she is. she intends to exact revenge on him uh for certain transgressions that we can get into later but that is the uh, that's the basic premise of hard candy so um i've talked enough uh vera is our guest i want to pivot over to you for some just some general thoughts uh about the film uh was this your first time seeing it yes okay um i hadn't seen it before i remembered the the like the poster or the cover with the girl in the the red hood and the bear trap yes um, yeah. but i had never seen it before um I'm still unsure exactly how I feel about this movie sure, because sure. the subject matter is so it's it's very rot and it's a very tense movie and it's disturbing in many ways and so I don't think you're supposed to like it. Yeah, um, right. But right. I think it is supposed to provoke thought. So that's mm. kind of all I have to say about that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Nathan, uh, what about what about for you? Um. It was it was definitely my first time seeing it, um, and interestingly, I was I'm doing some IMDb snooping right now, and to see what else David Slade has directed. And uh, do you know he did Bandersnatch, Reed, and some other Black Mirror? Really, I did not realize yeah. that. Wow, that's that's very cool. Yeah, I don't. I am interested to see where our conversation goes, uh, because sure, sure, I. I actually think extremely highly of Patrick Wilson uh, and like Ellen Page a good bit. Uh, shout out first Shadow Cat slash Kitty Pride. <laughs> um, and, you know, but, but from Go, even, even not knowing where the film ultimately goes, but from Go with that back and forth exchange that you just referenced online, I was like, oh, this yeah, is, right, 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 this right. This is going to suck. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know exactly if you're wanting full bore type of discussion about bigger stuff, but, but yeah, I, I would I would kind of be with Vera here and just not being 100% sure. Having some strong re internal response, uh, and I think that's part of the film's uh, mission. Yeah, um, right, right. Just not totally not not really having the opportunity to discuss it yet in any sort of format to to be able to to suss out some of these feelings well i'm i'm gonna kind of make a, a a bit of a, a pitch uh in in the real time right here we didn't we just didn't discuss this beforehand that i think with a film like this uh we should feel free to let our thoughts take us where they want to go and and not worry so much about traditional formatting restraints. Uh, we can certainly 
begin to prompt some questions about likes, dislikes, or fear, or whatever. Um, but uh, but I want to encourage both of you to just like as your thoughts arise, like follow them where they're going to go, and let's and let's see what what happens from there. Well, I'm I'm appreciative of of your uh, setup there, Reed. I do think in order to really fully kind of open the door here, it, it helps to have the full picture. And do you care if sure. I summarize a little more? No, please, by all means. Um, so the the story of the film as it reveals itself is, and and I would put, I have on my likes, dislikes, once I kind of comprehended what was going on, I actually love the box art. Uh, that's really, oh yeah, really captivating and powerful visual um uh for what this story does so uh, as alluded to they engage online they meet in the real or irl as the kids call it and <laughs> uh go back to um uh, jeff slash patrick wilson's place um he is a photographer by trade um you know there's 20 minutes maybe not quite that of just kind of back and forth mild flirtation you know it's nothing super inappropriate yet other than just the general scenario but right, nothing right. real inappropriate um ultimately as reed alluded what you find out is um uh one of the few weaknesses of the films i think the backstory is just really kind of shoehorned in here but mm-hmm. um jeff has a predilection for as I, I guess we come to find out um taking pictures of underage girls in the nude and uh Haley Ellen Page's character there is there to enact action against him violent torturous action against him uh because she knows this specifically because of a character ancillary to the story that has passed away that she's hunting down who did this uh has her in his sights and so the bear trap of the art is really her positioning herself as bait um who becomes this kind of angel of death type of uh representative that ultimately provokes jeff to kill himself um for the actions he's engaged in so you can sort of see (laughs) oh wow this is super heavy um (laughs) right right that involves as my sort of what reed was doing uh, alluded to earlier uh, even involves a a um, it's a it's a misdirection in the plot but what you think as a viewer if you've never seen this uh a surgical castration she performs on him and so all of this starts to pile up in a big stew of oh my god right you know so <laughs> right right <laughs> oh my 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 um so yeah with uh with some of that on the table i just want to again uh, encourage each of you to again just just go where your thoughts take you and and we'll see what comes of the conversation um vera we we had reached out to you um to be a part of this conversation specifically and I'll, and I'll just put cards on the table is because Ellen Page is Canadian. Yeah. Basically, that's the <laughs> that's I mean, why. so much in common. So so that's it. So 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 what <laughs> speak to so, that. So what's the mindset here? One Canadian no, to another. No, just kidding. <laughs> um so um but no, obviously with with a subject like this and with a premise like this, um I felt like it was really uh important for us to have a proper conversation about this to, to have a woman's perspective on some of what's going on, not, not specifically for any reason other than a lot of what is baked into the theme and into the plot and into the narrative is um, rooted around structures of abuse and structures of predatory behavior um, and uh, power structures, which are 
inverted and subverted uh, based on the premise of the film. And I just really felt like if we didn't have a woman's understanding and a woman's perspective uh, in the conversation, it would be just an incomplete puzzle piece uh, for what was going on. And obviously we three are just three individuals. But um, but with that in mind, um, would love to know a bit more of like your general response to the film. Like as you were watching it, what was the some of the emotional wavelength that was happening? Revulsion? Um, was it uh, a sense of, uh, like you said, thoughtfulness that the film is trying to provoke in in uh, in what it's telling you? Uh, can you describe a little bit of just like more of your experience of watching the film? Yeah. Well, I speak for all women everywhere. That's so, that's uh... my point. That's my point. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. No, no, I don't. Please don't quote me on that, anyone. Um, yeah. Um, I didn't do any reading into the movie and I, you know, not even um, a sum- like plot summary or synopsis or anything before I watched it. I kind of wanted to go in um, just as a, as a blank slate and absorb what I saw and then look into it afterwards. Um, and so the beginning of the movie was really unnerving for me to watch. Like it was, mm. it really made me cringe a lot. I remember um, being a younger um, teenage girl or whatever at the time with my friends at like in chat rooms and people would mm. like immediately somebody joins with a female sounding name and you get a private message asking you ASL, which um, age, sex, location. Oh, um, wow. And then, you know, and, and probing for more information um, in any chat room. So it's very, very easy then and now for um, for young females to get lured into a conversation or a, a discussion of with an older man. Um, Cause you can't see who's mm-hmm. on the other side of the computer. And even now um, my Instagram setting is on um, private because I post pictures of my kids, but yeah, at right. Christmas time I switched the privacy setting to public so that I could get the top nine because if you tried to do it through the website, it wasn't working. But if you did it through the app, it was quick, but you had to have a public account to do that. Within like the five minutes that I had my settings on public, I got DMs from like gross people just being like, hey. No way. Yeah. Five people. It was so fast. So there are people online that troll like that. Um, And I'm not... And I'm not a 14-year-old girl. <laughs> right, so right. I, I can't imagine being a 14-year-old girl now. And so just knowing those things um, just really grossed me out. And then he meets her in the coffee shop and everything he says is so skeevy. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah, it um, really is. Yeah, and it, so it, it it really gives you a, like, and I, I didn't know that it was going to be a, a victim becomes like the perpetrator type movie. And so I was just like, sure. oh my gosh, 14-year-old, get out of there. What are you doing? <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> so when it does twist, and I was like, "Ooh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> this yeah. guy's gross." You're going to teach him a lesson, um, mm-hmm. but then the movie carries on from there. <laughs> <laughs> right, those are some initial thoughts. Well, so I, it, I, I'm sorry, uh, Nathan. No, go ahead. Well, all well, I was going <laughs> to <laughs> let me. Mine is not a conversation starter. Sure. I just want to make an ob- observation that in one more moment that it's been brought up on the show uh, a time or two before. Um, But Vera, your information just again reveals to me how um, painfully naive I am about so many things, uh, even in the world around me. Like I, I even in its heyday 
uh, did not and never have participated in like chat room type things. Like I, I, it's it's a it's a a blind spot of my cultural awareness. Like it's just not something that I've done. I've, I've participated in group text threads. Like that's <laughs> that's been a thing with people that I knew, but like the the anonymity of some of these things. So much of it is just so blind to me. So I hear what you're saying, and then just kind of get a little put back on my heels. Like man, I I just there there are so many things about. Uh, the world and its and and the people that inhabit it that I'm still so painfully naive about uh, that it just uh, never ceases to surprise me um, in in those particular avenues. That was all I was going to say, Nathan. I apologize for no talking fine. at the same time. But uh, there's I recently stumbled upon maybe just as a parent and trying to be uh, forth uh, forecasting thinking ahead on on my children and their online engagement and <clears throat> there's a service called bark b-a-r-k that mm. is kind of like a service that uh, you can subscribe a subscription type service that is meant for parents and families that you execute this type of programming on across your devices and so you can have some regulation and that sort of stuff but specifically bark will post articles about online media stuff right like parental awareness uh, you need to know yeah. this is a thing type stuff and probably about three months ago i was reading one of their articles and it was so devastating of and and i am aware at least sort of peripherally of some of what you're describing Vera and what you're saying are naive to read. Like I'd probably fall somewhere in the middle of just knowing that type of stuff exists, but not, you know, just other than just general awareness, right, not knowing right. the depth of it. And this bark article was, I was citing this company that specifically works with law enforcement to, I mean, for lack of a better word, in trap, although maybe technically, legally speaking, that's not what it is. But um, specifically, the article was about this woman who works with this organization. And the the article was about her experience. And it was this like, you know, behind the curtain type story of her because she is an adult but looks younger posing as a younger person. And what you just described, Vera, is what made me think of this of they it's this whole operation and she launches this Instagram account posing as this younger adult or younger oh, wow. kid and just the the avalanche of attention that she receives in a very very short amount of time and and you even read the responses of the people involved in this operation and their difficulty dealing with it but what the whole operation is en engineered to do is to help law enforcement uh you know kind of find predators and oh, sexual wow. predators and be able to educate anyway. So, you know, <laughs> any listener who hasn't watched this movie, like this is a heavy movie. This is likely a mildly heavy conversation afoot, but you know, this is the backdrop and because like Vera, when you said a minute ago, your experience of, I would assume roughly 15 years ago, which is roughly when this movie, you know, was released 15 real years is, what a hundred digital year technology years, right? Oh, in yeah. terms right, of how right. far we've come, uh, in what you and I would identify in our adult resourcefulness as innovation and convenience, but in a predatory sense as access and resource. 
Um, I, I, I'll sort of throw this in here. That's a bit of a general note about the film that um, I actually wrote it as a dislike just using our kind of jargon. But yeah. Dislike is, is too, too strong a word. Um, one, I almost feel like, and I love him. I think he's fantastic as a performer. He seems like a genuinely good guy. I almost don't know that Patrick Wilson is the right casting here because oh, hmm. most of a lot of the early part of the film, I, so it's, I'm going to posit two things here. One is the casting of Patrick Wilson hmm. who delivers on a performance. No doubt. I'm not even arguing it's a bad performance whatsoever. Right. But right. you couple that with the film's intentional obscuring and hiding from the viewer what she finds. And for listeners who don't end up watching this movie, she finds a safe in his apartment that ultimately she's able to unlock. And in it is these things he's been denying that he does, which is take naked pictures of kids. And, but the film doesn't affirm what she sees by letting us circumstantially know that's what like you, you don't see it as a viewer. So because of that, those two things together, had me wrestling more than I think the movie wants, I think, although maybe, maybe not. But my my appreciation and affection for Patrick Wilson, the performer, made made it take longer for me to buy in on what the movie feels like it's positioning, which is justifying her. Ah, uh, I see. The, yeah, I'm kind of on board with what you're saying, too, is like, I just find Patrick Wilson a really likable person on screen but then when you the couple yes in. like even when he's super skeevy um like he's you appreciate his acting chops um and sure, then yeah. they give him more of a backstory than they give to Haley, and that might yes. be intentional um but and i don't know if the film intends this you end up empathizing with him more even though mm, you shouldn't mm. because he's the pedo and i don't think that i don't think that's wrong i i i and we can get into this, but to me, and and feel free to push back, like withholding certainty, like empirically as a viewer, I'm still a little obscured by what Haley has found, right? Like, right. am I wrong? Right. Like you, you don't physically see it on screen, which I'm not well, arguing I want to see this, but. No, no, you, so you're not incorrect at all, either about the fact that we don't see what she sees but also that um, I think the intention behind that, th- this film is, a, is remarkably deliberate. It's very deliberate in its framing, in its uh, shot setup. I, I don't think anything is in frame that is accidental, and I don't think anything is obscured from frame that is accidental. And so I do feel that we are intended to feel some degree of uncertainty about the good and the bad in what's being displayed here. Um, I, I found out, and I'm, I'm really shocked because this seems to contradict text of the film. I found out that in interview panels from, from the film, uh, some of the cast and crew would affirm that Jeff was not guilty of what he ultimately confessed to. And that... That that puzzled me a bit because in the film, 
it feels like, at least to a degree, however you feel about how she got there, she has uncovered this tremendous wrong and that she's uncovered uh, a villain of of tremendous predatory tendencies. Um, wh- whether or not he had actually committed this thing, I felt like the film wasn't ambiguous about. I feel like, particularly in its final moments, and listeners, I don't know if we've been this explicit, but towards the end of the film... She Well, it becomes clear in the middle of the film that she is trying to get him to confess to the murder of another young person, another young girl, and he denies it up and down, never had anything to do with her, anything, despite the fact that there is one of the photos that it shows us that she finds in the safe is a very benign, friendly, smiling photo of the girl that she's referring to, and so he has that photo and doesn't deny meeting the girl, but denies having anything to do with her death and disappearance. At the end of the film, he is suddenly confessing that he didn't do anything to her, but he photographed the person who did. And I took the film as being as that being unambiguous, that she's caught him and now he's revealed it, that he he's confessed it. So then to find out that they revealed in interview panels that he was was not guilty of that uh, really puzzled me and made me wonder if there was some intentional obscuring and blurring of the lines in what the film was trying to say. I don't know if that makes it any easier to process, but uh, I definitely found it, uh, again, worth chewing on and, and puzzling over uh, for a bit in terms of what the film's trying to say. Well, and it's, I think what's fascinating to me about this film is it's a very interesting litmus test for what you see in it. Um, mm, mm. Because I I would give the film credit. It's not an enjoyable film to watch but whatsoever. But I think so highly of these two performers. I even wrote down, I was like, as, as discomforting as this film is, I enjoy watching these two people act together. And that's yes. a very pleasurable sort of, you know, cinephile experience. Right. But... I will give credit possibly here to what I think is a very intentional withholding of deliberate certainty of almost anything. Hmm. So I'm giving credit to that as, okay, this is a film that is smart in what it is trying to provoke. But what was really fascinating last night is, and you know, Vera, I think you and I are, social media buddies and and I post when I watch movies and I posted that I had seen this and it was really interesting because there were only about two or three people that openly commented and these are not people who typically comment on anything I do but who are also I know very vocal kind of of the feminist persuasion and I would identify myself as a feminist on a certain level but people who I know are very vocal and so what's interesting is I can see a world where people watch this movie and what they see is a sexual predator getting his comeuppance mm, mm. versus what I'm trying to find here, which is I don't know that it's that simple. I'm not sure it isn't that simple, but I'm mm. also not 100% convinced that it is that simple either. Does that make sense? Right. Uh, yes. Yeah, it very much does. Mirrors my own experience as well. Uh, Vera, what, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, especially, um, because she finds the photographic evidence of 
of other children um, being exploited. But the the teenager who is missing, she only finds the photograph that's on the missing poster that's in the cafe. Like it's the same photograph, I think. Oh, it's it's a generic wow. photo. It's not of her being tortured or 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 being exploited in any way. It's just a right, normal photograph, right. right? Like you do see that very briefly. Um, yeah. And then at the the end of the movie, um, when she tells him that she killed the other guy and he told her um, that that he murdered this girl. Um, and then when, uh, again, spoilers, she um, convinces him to take his own life right, um, right. with the promise of not letting the world know about his predilections. Um, and then as he jumps off the roof to hang himself, um, she says, like, yeah, right, or something. I can't remember the exact word she says, but basically that she is going to spill the beans on everything that he has done. Exactly, um, yeah. But she, it's not that he is not guilty of crimes. It's that he's not guilty of this crime that she's um, become a vigilante in regard to. Mm, but it seems mm. like to her that doesn't matter. And I have, like... And and that's something that you know. Even though I think the 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 twist that the the female who you see at the beginning in the chat conversation and in the coffee shop um, becomes the perpetrator instead of the victim, and that's supposed to be empowering in a way. Um, I felt really uncomfortable with the fact that justice isn't being served here. Ah, uh, right, right. And it, she doesn't care. Because he's mm. guilty of other things. Yeah. Yeah. And did you get the impression that... I, I did. I got the impression that this is potentially a career for her. And I know she's she's a 14-year-old, at least. That's the thing is, by the end of the film, she has brought into suspect every piece of information we know about her. Um, that, but But he believes she is a 14-year-old girl. And she looks young. I mean, Ellen Page was 17 at the time that this was filmed, but Ellen Page has always had a bit of a younger appearance just to her overall appearance. Um, and so she's very believable as a 14-year-old. Um, but I got the impression that she's not going to stop this crusade with him, that no, she's she's not, not done, that she's going to continue to sort of uh, well, transact because it also vengeance. didn't start with him. Yeah, I mean, she's right, done it exactly, before. Exactly. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, well, and the, I and, think you're yeah. identifying though what I'm, what these folks who don't typically post on my stuff were cheerleading for. Which it even sounds like I'm being dismissive. I'm not whatsoever. It's just a fascinating sort of experiment. Like, okay, watch right, this right. and tell me what your response is. And I think there's a world where you could easily position her character as just an otherworldly I've used this phrase angel of death. Like I know oh, right. in the context of the film, you know, she's or at least seems to be a literal actual 14 year old person human. Right. Mm -hmm. But is also meant to be representative of vengeance seeking by those who have been traumatized. Um, right. Right. Here's so this, this is why I feel like this is really tough is I never want to deprive someone their catharsis, right? Like, sure, right. Like, w the, 
the wounds someone carries into any given experience, whether it's their daily life or watching a film, are their wounds, and they're utterly and absolutely entitled to those, uh, given certain parameters, of course. But so so it's it's just interesting watching something like this and two things one in the context of the film and abstract one in the context of the film and very practical that really ring out for me is I always so it's really funny I remember years ago that stupid show to catch a predator do y'all remember this oh yep. I do yeah mm-hmm. and yeah. Chris Hansen <laughs> is the host oh, I don't even I'm sure I guess um <laughs> I always have hated those types of things. Um, when, and this is one reason I say Patrick Wilson is the wrong casting choice here, not because he's not a great actor, but because he's too charming on the front end. All I am is heartbroken when she is rummaging for what she's searching for. Not even because he right, ultimately right. doesn't quote unquote deserve it or not, but because I, I have just always had this heart for like you exposing expo forced exposure, right? Like this is not mm, mm. a good in a certain level here, the nuance here, right? Like it, it is uh, to catch a predator. I always hated because I'm like, you are publicly broadcasting the entrapment of others who are, who victimize. Yes. But who also are victims of their own, addictions and problems and need help and not, you know, ridic public ridicule. Right. So this has right, always been right. just sort of a thing I've been real sensitive to. And when she's digging in that safe, like it was, I, I didn't physically get emotional, but I could feel my just heart sink. Like this is, this is so hard to watch. Um, and I'm being real cautious with my words of like, right, wrong, fair, unfair. It is what it sure. is. Sure. Yeah. 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 The other thing, so that's the abstract, right? Just the general note about this thing that happens in the film and where it propels the rest of the story. The other thing that I really have wrestled with is wild as it is, (laughs) I know I am one degree removed from a real person who had an eerily similar scenario play out. Not that he was visited by a physical person accusing him of things, but that his shame and guilt over similar things compelled him to commit suicide. Mm. And so Mm. it Mm -hmm. really is difficult to watch the end of a film like this and receive it as pure artistry. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, because I think we are so, we are so inherently crippled by our own shame, right? Our, Inner demons are strong enough in most cases to to paralyze and cripple us. It, that does not mean our inner demons cease us from doing wrong in the world sometimes, terribly so. But I just struggle with, and I hate redemptive violence stories in general, but I always struggle right, with, right. let me exorcise your inner demons back at you in a real tangible, literal sense. So it's... Anyway, I'm just kind of going off here, but it's a very heavy film. <laughs> well, right. Like exactly what you're saying is that especially and like I can rationally say this now, but I am also, you know, a female who 
um, I'm sure like most women out there have had some sort of me too moment. Sure. Um, mm, yeah. And I'm the mother of three daughters um, who I worry about, you know, releasing into the world someday and the things that they uh, may or may not face. Um, but if I'm speaking rationally as a Christian, grace is extended to all people. And as much as we don't want to to believe it or say it, right. it's also to people like Patrick Wilson's character in this film, Jeff. Yeah. Um, and so that this, you know, returning the, the violence upon you or sending your crimes back your way, the vengeance model um, as Christian, as a Christian, I struggle with um, finding any sort of redemptive quality in that. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. Oh, sure it does. Yeah. We so last week I mentioned something that is a, a different version of which is cropping up right now. Uh right now we're all, you know, we we've uh, we've mentioned it in both trivial and sincere uh, ways, but right now the globe is uh struggling beneath the threat of of a a pandemic uh virus spread. Um, and I have begun to see some frightening things kind of crop up in in some of my social media feeds as certain personalities begin to test positive for the virus. Uh, certain personalities who, uh, you know what, there's no need for me to, uh, particularly with this film, there's no need for me to be secretive. So as I'm saying this, uh, Harvey Weinstein, uh, convicted of sexual misconduct, multiple counts. Um, Accused has, of far more. Accused of far more, uh, has has tested positive for uh, COVID nineteen and for the coronavirus. And when I began to see any inkling of karmic rejoicing in that observation, there was a a queasiness in my spirit that begins to rise, and it it it. I, I equate it as, as exactly what all three of us are talking about. Like my faith is not allowing me to reject the humanity in even someone who has done as monstrous things as he has done. Sure. And, and, and my faith is not allowing me to reduce him to an animalistic thing. And and what is difficult about that, what is very difficult about that, is because people would rightly say, well, look at the lives devastated and destroyed in the wake of some of these decisions and some of these choices. And I don't think, t t to your point, Nathan, about the litmus test that this film uh, presents itself as, and I, do th I am fully convinced now, the deeper we get into this conversation, that this film is intended to be a bit of a Rorschach test and not as clean cut as uh you know sexual deviant gets what's coming to him uh i definitely think this is this is far more complicated than that because there's the story he tells um there's a story he tells when he is uh eminently about to be based on haley's threats to him he thinks and th that whole scene is brutal just the whole scene the build up the the uh, supposed I'm sorry. Uh, uh, the castration ca castration oh, oh, scene oh, yeah. yeah the castration scene is an ex it's like an extended like thirty minute sequence wherein she that audio is rough it's terrible it is so <laughs> terrible and 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 it is the entire thing listeners is a tease because she sends him through the psychological torment 
that she is going to do this thing to him. And she lets that linger for probably 20 minutes and then goes through the action of it and then goes through the actual, like, uh, display of it, narrating it as she goes along, and it, the camera zones in on his face. It occasionally cuts away to her, but a lot of it we see him and his reactions to it, both emotional and mental, as well as physical. And then, after that is all done, he gets free from his bonds. She goes into the other room. He gets free from his bonds to find out it's been a ruse, that she was that she did not do that thing to him, that instead she has elaborately fabricated that action. So it is a psychological sort of attack, but while he is in the throes of that preparation, he tells a story about the, I think it was like a cousin of his, I can't yeah, remember exactly yeah, the relationship, yeah. but like a cousin who adored him and would get out of the bath. As a four-year-old. he was As 10. a four-year-old, yes. He was 10 years old, she was four. She would get out of the bath run at him. She was completely naked, sopping wet. She would run at him and begin to tickle him. And the way he, so so I'm going to clarify that this is the way he is telling the story. He's telling the story as if he did not want to hurt her. So he didn't want to like push her off. He didn't want to like do anything uh, to possibly hurt her. But her mom comes in and sees it and sees her on top of him, tickling him, her naked and that she reacts and yells at the little girl to get back in the bathtub, and then she takes him and uh, basically tortures him in a way by threatening. She like holds him over this lit stove burner and threatens that if he ever you know, touches her daughter again or goes near her daughter again, she'll do these awful things. And this is to, if you believe his story... This is to a 10-year-old that this happens. The with film, his pants down, she holds him. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, with yeah. his pants down. Yes, that's an important distinction. And so when you hear this story, now it should be clarified that in the narrative of the film, Haley does not believe him, or at least does not trust his Doesn't take his it motive. seriously. Yeah. Yes, does not take it seriously, doesn't trust his motives for telling the story. But it really arrested me, and to what we're speaking about, is the other the other reality is that abuse can be um, this kind of infectious thing that passes down from generation to generation, a cycle that um, has to be actively, forcibly, and through a tremendous amount of support fought against and broken. That that it is a thing which can carry itself in ways that are both that both transmit into additional abuse. And also can can uh, just cause a hindrance to relationships, um, and and so this cycle, this infectious cycle of abuse that pans out, and whether you believe Jeff's story or his intention or not, I think the film posits it as a true occurrence. I don't sure. think the film presents it as if he is lying or deceiving. Certainly, in that moment, he has very little reason uh, to to lie. Uh, about something like that. But uh, I feel like the insertion of a story like that to add complexity to his character is why I, uh, one of many reasons why I agree that this film is set up as a Rorschach test rather than as a direct line of sight of uh, someone getting their comeuppance. And I do feel very passionately that the damage done when we reject the humanity of, I'm going to use this term very deliberately, so hear the nuance of the total picture of what I'm saying. 
when we reject the humanity of someone we deem to be a monster, and when we reject their humanity, the, let me be very clear that as a believer, I believe the damage is to us when we reject their humanity. I feel that justice is of the utmost imperative to be fought for, that accountability for actions, uh, recompense where necessary, uh, should be uh, sought and pursued. But I think actions like what we see displayed in the film of vengeful punishment or gleeful delight in additional tragedy only does us poorly. It does not it does not benefit anyone to to reject the humanity that we are compelled to witness in other people and i know that i know that's complicated because the entire subject is complicated um to put it completely simplistically uh, bordering on reductively it does fundamentally come back to additional wrongs do not make things right and uh, as as we used to say like two wrongs don't make a right but us doing the wrong thing to try to sort of even the scales or 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 bring things back up, uh, I don't think that's the right way to go about it. I think we ourselves are only going to continue to perpetuate the powers and principalities that dug their heels into this other individual to begin with. Is what I'm saying makes sense, or am I completely off base in in my thinking? And you can push back if if I am. No, I'm I'm on board with what you're saying. Um, if if I am the worst of all sinners and God can forgive me, then I need to extend that grace to others, even though their crimes may make them monsters in my eyes. Yeah. Um, thankfully, I am not responsible for doling justice out either here on earth or afterwards. Um, right, right. But I trust that that is something that is going to happen. If not now, then eventually. And in the meantime, like, and again, if anything were to happen to somebody that I loved, like Lord be my literal strength in that situation. No um, kidding. Yeah. yeah. But, but speaking right now as a rational person, um, vigilante justice is, I don't think it can be excused even though it's horrible. Well, what right. he did. You know, it's funny, Reed, you reference the cousin story in that moment. I was like, the, and and why I would say this film is after more than a pure, uh, a pure slash easy uh, vigilante slash wrongdoer type story, because yeah, right, right. in that moment, my act of thought was, if you want me against this character, this is not how you do it. In right, other words, yeah, having yeah. him tell that story. And it, because what it called to mind very deliberately for me personally was uh, Richard Rohr talks a lot about um, the father wound and conversely the mother wound. And specifically, mm -hmm. he's what he's describing is these deep scars we carry from, uh, you know, perhaps abuse and or trauma and or abandonment by authority, typically it is a father figure, but as Jeff was telling the story, that is the phrase that popped into mind was the father wound. I mean, it wasn't his actual father, but you understand what I'm saying. This, yeah, right, right. This connecting incident that 
burdens this person for the next 22 years of his life uh, that manifests in these concealed predilections that he himself knows are transgressive and wrong but needs help to to find and so so there's that um and and vera to what you're saying i think i think i think what's hard and should be hard is i don't think and you didn't say this i'm just responding to with some thoughts i don't think it will ever be as easy as waving a wand to say you know christ be my strength christ give me strength to absorb the blow of trauma that myself or someone close to me has endured because i do think what's fascinating about a film like this a story like this is people who have been traumatized need to on some level process their anger right and i think a lot uh i know reed has seen it i don't know if you have Vera. i just watched a beautiful day in the neighborhood and uh mm. the, tom, the tom hanks film and with about mr rogers and it's 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 a glorious just soul soaring piece of art um and uh, which is makes complete sense knowing its subject matter and something that has really stayed with me uh is a line from that film that is there's always a place to put the mad you feel mm-hmm. and and i think this is why subject matter like this is challenging is because it's not wrong to desire catharsis and to right. to need that place to put the mad that you feel because that mad was done to you, was done to someone you love and needs exorcising, needs air, right? Um, right. And, and so, but I also at the flip side think uh, as, a, as a person seeking to embody Christ, the story will never be left at destruction. The story is only an ever will be restoration and that's what this film does not have for Jeff, right? It is, it is torment and confession under duress and then destruction. And that's a really painful process to watch play out and is not celebratory whatsoever. Right. Even, even recognizing the need for a catharsis by someone who has been victimized. Yeah. Yeah, so um this is a this is a, a, a hard film. <laughs> it's, a, it's hard candy. Uh, it's hard candy as a matter of fact. Um and I don't want to uh, particularly with a, with a conversation as heavy as this is. Um I don't want to belabor the point. Um I do feel like uh, so in a second, I'm going to, I'm going to give each of you a chance to, to say anything else that may be on your minds. And if, if not, then, then maybe we're, uh, maybe we're done. Um, but I, I feel like it is important with these subjects. Um, Nathan, you, 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 so eloquently have brought up the, the issue of life being a zero sum game and how, uh, pretty vehemently you would reject that notion of, uh, merits and demerits functioning down to a kind of a break even 
mentality that, that 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 life is far more painful, far more beautiful, and extremely more complicated than that. And I feel like as we're confronting subjects like this in an odd way, I actually appreciate the the approach that the film takes uh, to its subject matter. It is intensely disturbing what takes place in the narrative, and I am so grateful that more of it is not exploitatively shown on the screen. Because it is like all of the things that we're describing, there's very little actually shown, actually seen. Almost none of it uh, is actually shown or seen. Um, and it, it, these are just the things that happen in the narrative. Um, and I respect its restraint, and I respect its complexity, and I feel like moments and issues like this, I've, I've railed on the show before about the ways we can break things down into binary categories, uh, pass, fail, right, wrong, good, bad. Um, and I feel like it is intensely hard work to marry the equally important subjects of justice and mercy and to unite them in the world around us is nearly impossible. To unite them in our hearts uh, may be equally so, and I think uh, we can only ever get closer and closer to it um, by continuing to humanize. And, And I remember not that long ago, there was, and I cannot remember the circumstances surrounding this condition, so I'm going to put a big flag on my observation uh, for its ignorance in being able to recall uh, certain key details. But I remember there was an incident that I believe involved um, a shooting, uh, one of those uh, far too prevalent uh, police-related shootings where someone... Uh, a person of color was uh, basically minding their own business, and then their their life was just gone. And I can remember what I remember about it, though the details escape me at the moment. And my sincere apologies for that, listeners and uh, co-hosts. Um, what I remember about the moment is that a relative of the family member who died openly forgave the police officer that was responsible for their death, and did so publicly. I believe in a courtroom. And I can remember the debate. I I can remember two things happening. First of all, I can remember that moment being perhaps overly championed by uh, a a certain side of the conversation that would be like, yeah, this is what you should do. You should openly forgive it and move on. Um, And then that reaction was also pushed against by other people that are like, well, they are absolving and endorsing and... Uh, washing their hands of this systemic problem that needs to be addressed and needs to be confronted. Um, And I remember how ugly the argument got, and I remember where my thoughts went over that was, I I know for myself when I've had to forgive somebody, I wasn't caring one iota about a movement. I was needing peace in my own heart and mind. I was needing to do something for myself rather than caring about how is this going to, what are the optics of this going to be on either side of it. And I can remember thinking as the debate raged, thinking this poor this poor man probably just wants to reach a place of peace within his heart and mind about the loss of this person that he loved. And this was his path to do that yeah. because of his faith, because of 
his conviction, whatever that looked like for him. This was his path to do that. And uh, for people to uh, politicize that and causify that, um, I'm getting, uh, it's probably not coming through in my voice, but I can feel it uh, just in my body. I'm getting really uh, emotional just thinking about that notion of how uh, we can take issues like this. And I, I forget the context in which we said it, but when the issue or the policy like becomes a person, everything changes. When it becomes a, a human being, everything changes about all of it. Um, and I feel like that incarnational pursuit, and that's a big word. What I mean by that is the, the embodying, um, the, you know, when we talk about the incarnation, we talk about the word made flesh. We talk about Christ becoming a person, that the Son of God becoming a man. That's what we talk about. And that, that idea of an issue or a policy or a thing putting on flesh and blood changes everything. And, and I feel should change everything uh, for both victim and victimizer. Um, and I think that pursuit of incarnational thinking is part of my coping mechanism for how I can try to navigate these things without losing uh, that piece of my soul that I want to hold on to uh, that reminds me that, you know, about the non-expendability of anybody be they homeless, be they elderly, be they criminal, be they whoever. Um, and, uh, and that is a pursuit that is hard. It is very difficult to do that because it forces you to see both of the players in a game like this, not that it's a trivial game, but it forces you to see both of the players in a game like this as flesh and blood human beings with complex thoughts and complex histories um, that do not break down into easy, identifiable answers. And what we're left with then um, is a sense of grief and uh, mm. sorrow for the the powers and principalities that have allowed this dynamic to exist and created a breeding ground for it to foster. Um, and that's just some of the many complicated thoughts I have about this film. Again, I, I don't want to... I don't want to beat a dead horse, but uh, perhaps as a final note, I would invite if either of you uh, or both have um, anything that you just have on your heart that you'd like to say. If not, it's okay with me if we're done, but um, but please, by all means, take the moment to, to say something if there's something else you want to say. Here go, Vera. I think, um, I think that um, – thank you for saying all that you said um, – and I think that what you ended with there is right, is that it's not necessarily a likable film, as I think we've all said, that because it's so difficult to watch and the, the subject matter is so um, like gut-wrenching. But it is, it's a good discussion to have. And, yeah. and it, the way that it is positioned by the end of the film, that the issue is not black or white, I think is important to that discussion yeah yeah agreed. we need to have more conversations that are not binary even though yeah. you know your your initial gut reaction is well like he's a gross pedophile he gets what he deserves but like we we need to have these these discussions that like people deserve to be helped rather than hurt regardless yeah. of what they've done yeah right right well and to that point i guess my a, a final note here a line that really haunted me was at the very end and uh, you know 
I don't know if I'm particularly sensitive to this because, you know, so I'm reading this Roar Enneagram book and uh, each Enneagram profile has their kind of shadow side and I'm a four and the shadow side of a four is shame. So like this is how people who are fours typically manifest this sort of stuff is by lots of shame spiraling. Um, and, and so a movie like this, which is all about exploiting someone's shame by the end of it kind of really has a particular resonance. And the, the line particularly that I'm building to that's really haunting is when she is compelling him towards uh, taking his life, she says, this is the only way. Mm. And I just really got broken hearted about that because of how many people, uh, for much less transgression than what Jeff has perpetrated, but also for maybe much more, uh, view this course of action in that way. Like, I, I am too broken too much, too far gone as it were this is the only way and 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 i think all of us who seek to put on that incarnation you described reed would argue there's always another way mm. always and forever mm. is there another way and uh, uh, my button here is reed while you were talking all i could think about was just just these tensions right just these the world itself feels like it has baked into it. What I'm picturing is like these steel cords pulling in opposite directions, but, but many mm. of many of them crossing paths, like just these tensions that, that, that we're somehow called to be some version of reconciling of. And he keeps coming up, but roar recently, something that's really spoken to me use this saying where he said, sometimes we just have to forgive reality for being reality. Um, and, and I think about that in this context and it's almost like once you can do that, once you can acknowledge the irreconcilability of these tensions, they then almost become non obstacles, right? Like Mm. you forgive reality for being reality. This man did heinous things. He needs to be in some measure brought to justice. He needs in some measure to feel the weight of what he's done. He doesn't Mm -hmm. deserve to live there. Uh, We, we live in that reality and then we move forward bringing restoration wherever we can. And, and, and that to me is the final word. It is, as artistic and actually kind of poetic and on a certain level cool, if you will, as this film ends, it does also end in an opposing sentiment of what I would say is our call. You know, the film ends with her wandering into the woods, presumably to continue her, her path of vengeance. Right. Nathan, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna do something super cheesy right Uh-oh. now, and so <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna no, lay hands on us. No, y'all just forgive me, but you don't use, touch us six feet away. <laughs> right, six feet true, away. It's listen, self quarantine. Um, no, but you used the word, you used the phrase, the final word, and um, I don't reference him that much, but Nathan, you know, and you graciously uh, uh, obtained an autograph uh, by this man for me at one point. But uh, I am a huge fan of both the music and the writings of Michael Card. Um, he's a kind of a 
uh, a monastic thinker and uh, and scholar, biblical scholar. But he wrote he wrote a song. So the 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 cheesy thing I'm about to do is just simply to recite. I'm not going to sing it. No, no, it's not going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. Do you have the guitar? um, No, I don't. I don't. Um, (laughs) But but the lyric, as you said, the the phrase, the final word, which is the name of this song that came to mind. And, and, and I don't have the lyrics in front of me, so I'm just going to recite them the, the best I can remember. Um, but I remember his, his choral refrain of that. It said, um, um, he spoke the incarnation and so was born the son. His final word was Jesus. He needed no other one, uh, spoke flesh and blood so that he could bleed and, uh, make a way divine and so was born the baby who would die to make it mine. And um, so I know it's a, li- a bit cheesy to just recite, um, you know, song lyrics, but there is so much of what we're saying that's just baked into what I feel about how painful and how beautiful so much of this hard work can be. Um, and uh, so at, at the risk of just completely derailing into a sense of, uh, uh, benign cheesiness. I wanted to uh, just put those lyrics kind of on the record uh, because of how much of what we're talking about made them resonate again in my spirit. But well, and Dad Gummit. So <laughs> the hard work is because, um, like Jeff, you might die, but it will not be because you were coerced to it. Yeah, it right, will be because right. you you positioned yourself sacrificially into that and that mm, process mm. is the near impossible and maybe actually from a our human standpoint impossible work uh that death may be part of the of the you know package but it is not yeah, coerced right. out of us it is yeah. not shamed upon us right um, right right anyway. Somebody uh, absolutely thing up. Yeah, it's <laughs> okay. So I think we'll leave it. I think we'll leave it there before I bust out into song or before any of us, uh, before any of us start to cry openly, uh, openly weep. Uh, so Vero, you know, uh, first of all, before we get into the fog meter, like, thanks for joining us for such a lively and fun conversation. <laughs> as, uh, as this one so lighthearted. Yeah, so yeah. lighthearted. Uh, She's like, you know, I want like Monster Zinc back. <laughs> I was sitting here. I was like, "Where's Ash versus Evil Dead when you need it?" You know? <laughs> so, um, Hoochie McCoo. So, <laughs> oh my gosh! So, um, but I think it's time to bring us into uh, the fog meter. Nathan, you have the emotional stamina to explain the fog meter to the listeners. <clears throat> so, fog meter <laughs> is our metric on our podcast of fear and God. Um, how on a scale of one to 10, zero to 10, if you're feeling particularly malicious, um, how we would rank the fear factor, the scare, however we might define that, and the God factor, the substance quotient, if you will. Um, Reed, I'm going to start with you. Uh, how would you rank hard candy on the fear spectrum? So this is one of those difficult films to classify that like, nightmarish is really the wrong sort of way to think about fear. Um, it is deeply uncomfortable and, and, and very unnerving and unsettling and disturbing to the degree that I'm actually going to give it a nine on that. Um, even though it is not your traditional, like jump scares, frightening things, just is so disturbing in its subject and, uh, and in its tension, uh, that I, I give it a nine. What about you, Vera? Um, I, especially at the beginning when I didn't 
quite know where the film was going. Um, my, my tension and anxiety was quite high. Um, afterwards, it was more just just an, an uncomfortable feeling <laughs> in the pit of my yeah. stomach. But I, I also, I mean, I don't want to say this crudely, but like I, the castration scene was like not great to watch, but also like I can't relate to the that fear. <laughs> so like, I don't think it hit as, <laughs> as strongly with, with me as it may have with you guys. choice backfired. <laughs> um and so i'm just gonna i'm gonna ding it down a little bit at a let's say a seven okay hmm that's tough (laughs) um yeah i think that as just a i mean this movie released 15 years ago when uh internet predation was not even as full-blown as it is right now and will likely grow continue to grow to be and 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 even still a 15 year past representation of it is enough to you know give anyone the the shakes um couple that with the castration scene which um you know my beats by dre bluetooth headphones (laughs) alerted me to all the grisly audio details inherent to which was just tremendous listening at 10 o'clock on a random Monday night. Um, I mean, you know, all of this coupled with just the general weight and this feels like a stone around one's neck um, mm. is, uh, I'll go with a nine. I'll, I'll join you, Brother okay. Lackey, on the nine. Um, what would you What would you say for the God measurement or the fear or the substance measurement? You know, I haven't done quite enough research into the genesis of the script. On paper, uh, the substance, I'm going to give a a six and a half. Uh, And the only reason I'm so hesitant here is there's a world where someone would read the script and just think interesting kind of cat and mouse inversion. Um, And so I just don't know if the intentionality is as baked in as we are assuming. Um, ah. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a seven. I'm going to give it a seven just to okay. sure. show, sure, show sure. some generosity. Okay. Sure. Uh, Vera, how about for you? Yeah, I'm not, I don't know what the final message of the film is. I don't know exactly what they're trying to say. And maybe they're not trying to specifically say anything. Maybe they're just trying to spark discussion. Um, but I, as I've said all along is I just, I don't know how to feel about this film. Yeah. And, yeah. um, but I think it did spark a, a good discussion between the three of us. Um, and I'm hoping that other people who have watched it or will watch it, um, will, will be able to have a similar conversation or at least thoughts about it. I'm, I'm just going to go a little bit higher than the Nathan at a 7.5 only because I don't know what the film is trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> understood understood um i'm going to tap it off with just a half point higher and land at 8 for myself um i feel like the film could have been much more exploitative than it was and because it's not i'm going to give it some points for intentionality and for thoughtfulness sure. particularly about such mm-hmm. a complex 
subject matter. Uh, the fact that a film like this is not completely exploitative, um, I do think is remarkable. Um, and, uh, that it does leave you granted with Nathan, you described like a, like a weight around your neck, like a stone around your neck, which I think is a very appropriate metaphor. Um, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to give it an eight. Um, and that means that we give, uh, hard candy directed by David Slade an eight out of 10 on the fog meter, uh, which is a pretty substantial. Yeah, that's a pretty substantive showing, uh, particularly for a film of this nature. Your second favorite uh, horror film of 2005, in fact. But the harder question to answer, I know it is harder for me to answer, uh, is uh, would you, Nathan Rouse, recommend Hard Candy as a film for people to see? Um, uh, the short answer is not really. Um, not because it doesn't have merit, but because it, I could envision a world where it's extremely, um, I don't care if it's a buzzword or not triggering for people. Um, Mm, and the content is so weighty that I don't. And, and so when I say not really as a recommendation, it is not one you just turn on on a Friday night to, to, you know, kind of while away the time or to escape, um, that said, if you're one who can forgive reality for being reality and are interested in something to spark the brain and maybe the spirit, it might be there for you. But on a pure just, should I check this out, I would exercise extreme caution and say probably not really. Understood. Vera, where, where you like you how I up? towed that line real thinly <laughs> I there? I do. I do. There's a, there's a, it's a litmus test for really like, uh, yes, I, I totally understand. Uh, Vera, what, what say you? Yeah. Kind of in the same boat where I'm like, maybe, um, it would depend on the person. I think that it could be a triggering film. I think that, um, even if it's not specifically triggering, um, due to, you know, um, personal history of the person watching just like as a female as a parent I think there are um, things in it that can really grip somebody and so um, I think it's a film worth watching if you can get past those things yes uh, in a similar fashion to both of you I my recommendation is going to be highly qualified to say it is not a film I recommend watching lightly I think you need to uh, be very discerning of your mental and emotional state before watching it. I think it's craft and the performances are such that uh, are uh, meritous enough to uh, commend, but I don't know that I would recommend it. <laughs> um, so I don't, again, that's, that's a good way what, to put it. <laughs> so uh, commendable, but I don't know that it's recommendable. Um, and so uh, take that for what you will, listeners. Um, if you have seen it, and uh, we, we don't say this as often as we uh, normally do, but uh, if you have seen it and have some specific thoughts on it yeah, or I'm anything curious. else that we've seen, yeah. uh, please, by all means, uh, reach out to us. Uh, all of our social media cues, the various ways to reach us, um, are available to you both at the top and the end of the show. Um, so uh, please, by all means, reach out to us. Let us know your thoughts on this. Uh, Vera, great big thank you uh, yes, to you thank for, you. Uh, for engaging in this. all women. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> My absolute uh, pleasure to be the authority of all things women here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but seriously, thank you for, uh, I want to thank both of you for just um, the maturity and sensitivity with which uh, you 
helped me to navigate my own thoughts on this film and uh and thank you very much for just being willing uh to have this conversation with me thank you uh, both sincerely very much and of listeners, course. thank you. Thank, uh, thank you very much as well for listening to us. Um, as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. Um, and so uh, in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. I just gave our sign off, but uh, I do want to let you know, uh, with apologies for forgetting this, uh, next week we are going to be going to your top 10 favorite horror films of 2006. That's coming next week. Um, get out and vote on 2007 and 2008. Um, but uh, definitely check us out next week because we are going back to uh, a newfound favorite friend. Uh, director Bong Joon-ho is uh, an older film of his called The Host is our subject next week. Um, it is a part of your top 10 and we will be counting down your top 10 favorites of 2006 and having an extended discussion about Bong Joon-ho's the host so check that out we'll see you next week thank you both again really appreciate it um, for having this conversation with me of course see you next time guys thank you very much bye the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation and you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways you can start by visiting the fear of god podcast.com for all the latest news and episodes or for merchandise and to contact us directly you can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God, on Instagram at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God Discussion Group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of JacobHuntComics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright, who helped me, Reed Lackey, write our theme music, and to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.